2: Story time. I have a friend who worked as a forest ranger in the U.S. for a few.
1: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about juvederm lip fillers.
0: down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it you get 30, 30, how get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, I bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? Sold! Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Few years he's told me some freaky stories about what he's found at work. I'm convinced that neither all forest rangers are in this huge inside joke to tell the most crazy stories about their work to anybody who asks about it, or the woods hide much more than one would think. One of his stories that's always living rent free in my head is when he told me about this weird pit that he found in the middle of the woods. He said that they had received reports of this dug up pit. Apparently, Some colleagues had found it while patrolling. Just a huge large pit in the middle of the woods. He went to check it out, and sure enough, the pit was there. Just a hole in the floor about the size of a car. But right in the middle of the pit, there was a vintage record player just there. He picked it up, and it seemed to be in mint condition. He took it to his office. The other rangers there just filled it up, and nobody ever came to ask about the record player, so he kept it. Next week, they got a complaint from their superiors as to why nobody had filled the pit yet. Confused, my friend assured that he and his colleagues had already filled it up. They assured them that the pit was still there. They were sent to inspect, and sure enough, it was again as if nobody had even touched it. No trace of the dirt that they had even put on top of it. There was only one difference, and this time, on the middle of it, one of those very vintage cigarette cases. My friend picked it up and, once again, filled the pit, figuring somebody must be up to some funny business here, maybe some rituals or something, but none of it made sense. Again, nobody asked about the cigarette case, not that he'd expect to, so he kept it. A few days go by, and they get a report the pit is back again. Now they're having none of it. They go and carry a small security camera, strapping it to a nearby tree, finally catching the pit-digging maniac. When they get there, they find a small old-looking leather-bound notebook. Once again, my friend grabs it, takes it with him. They install the camera, fill up the pit, and leave. The pit never came back once the camera was placed. Whoever was digging it chickened out and left it alone. However, My friend's curiosity did not die there. He took the things to an expert and confirmed they were all genuine and in extremely good conditions. A weird place for a vintage collector to store his treasures. But the strangest thing of all was that he found the journal. He opened it up and found a newspaper cutout. It read, April 17, 1972, and on the journal, there was only one phrase written, it worked. Another story he told me is about this kid that had come stumbling out of the woods one day. He was somewhat dirty, but it just looked like a normal amount of dirty as a kid would be after playing around all day. He was wearing a t-shirt and jeans, so nothing out of the ordinary. When the rangers found him, they took him to one of their offices to ask about his parents, how he had ended up there. The kid answered he was just playing in the woods and got distracted by chasing a beetle. He had lost his parents and his brother and ended up where they found him. He seemed completely normal, but when he spoke, he had a strange accent as if English was not his mother tongue, but had learned it very well. They asked for the name of his parents and he replied they were called K-98 and D-54. They insisted on their real names but the kid kept repeating those numbers and did not know what the rangers meant. They asked if he knew their phone numbers but the kid didn't seem to know what a phone was. He just seemed to slowly get more and more nervous. They kept asking him things to try and help him, about how long ago he had got lost, if he knew exactly where he was before, if he could remember where he had his parents, and where they parked their car, where he was from, but the kid answered nothing. All those words he seemed to have never heard them before, he seemed to be completely lost about it. Suddenly, the kid gets up, said that he had made a big mistake, and promptly exited the office running. The rangers ran after him, but he was fast. He went into the woods and vanished, leaving no trace behind. The rangers went straight inside, but the kid was gone. After searching all afternoon, they figured they were going to need help. They called in search and rescue, conducted extensive searching covering much of the terrain as they could. They never found anything, not even footsteps. Everybody was ready for the parents to show up and asking about their kid at any moment, they never did. Missing posters were placed with his description, also shared on social media. The police even got involved at some point, but the child was never heard from again. Slowly, the search died out, he became a missing person report, no photo, address, or name to go by just an extremely generic physical description and the name of his parents K-98 and D-54. My friend said it became some sort of taboo topic, nobody wants to think we're a lost kid in the forest ended up. The thing is, even if my friend is sure nobody will ever find out what happened, he is convinced that kid was not lost in the woods, but somehow placed there, perhaps his parents were alien. It's interesting the whole case surrounding it. After the search died off, everything on social media was pulled, any documentation released was now redacted. Something about it is very, very fishy. I'm a park ranger, and I've seen a lot of strange things in my time patrolling the forests and wilderness areas. But nothing prepared me for the night I helped a lost camper, only to hear his terrifying story of a Bigfoot attack. It was a dark and stormy night, and I had been out on patrol when I came across a man stumbling through the woods. He was disoriented and lost, and I could see the fear in his eyes as he told me how he had wandered off the trail and become hopelessly lost. I helped the camper back to safety, and as we sat by the campfire, he told me a story. He said that he had been walking through the woods when he heard a strange noise. At first, he thought it was just a bear or some other wild animal. But then he saw it, a massive, hairy creature that towered over him. The camper said that the creature had attacked him, its massive hands crushing his ribs and nearly choking the life out of him. But somehow, he had managed to escape, running through the woods until he stumbled across my patrol. I was shocked and confused by the camper's story. Bigfoot was just a myth, or so I had always believed. But the look in his eyes told me that he believed every word he was saying. For days after that, I couldn't shake the feeling that something was out there in the woods, something that didn't belong in our world. I patrolled the area, looking for any sign of the creature the camper had described, but I found nothing. Eventually, I tried to put the camper's story out of my mind, chalking it up to a hallucination or a wild animal attack. But deep down, I knew that there was something out there in the woods, something that we couldn't explain or understand. And so I continued to patrol the forests, always on the lookout for any sign of the creature that the camper had described. Whether it was Bigfoot or some other unknown creature, I knew that we couldn't ignore the possibility that there were things out there in the woods that we still had yet to discover. I won't name the exact place for fear someone might try and go there and find her. I can't be responsible for that. I didn't want to go at first. I begged, pleaded, maybe even cried a little but my friends Eric and Jimmy were going and that was the sword my parents used to cleave through my complaints. You'll be with your friends. It's only a few weeks and it'll be a good experience for you to be a little independent for once, my mom said. Independence, hell yes just not at a stupid sleepaway camp. Drop off was on a Sunday. The air was thick and spongy, a hazy sky threatening rain, basically your typical August sweat fest. My younger brother Maddie had a fever the night before and with my dad working, my mom couldn't leave him so I had to catch a ride with Eric. I remember accusing Maddie of being a little baby and lying about being sick just to get attention, Something not uncommon in our house but on this occasion completely untrue, which of course infuriated my mom. She rarely yelled but for some reason this seemed to penetrate her calm and she exploded on me. Looking back it wasn't about Maddie, it wasn't about my mom, it was about me. I was afraid. Afraid of something new. Something different. Something unknown. Eric was slightly more excited about the camp than I was. Of the three of us he had the sunniest disposition. Nothing really ever bothered him. I think that was especially true that summer because he knew he was leaving our small town and going to boarding school next year. His dad was a big ad exec who commuted to the city, something mostly unheard of where we lived and they lived in a gigantic waterfront house. Everything always seemed easy for him but looking back I never considered how different he must have felt sometimes. He never showed it though. His armor was an easy smile and quick wit, but over the course of our two-hour drive, I was able to wear him down and get him firmly on board with my theory that this was going to be the worst weeks of our lives. If I'd only know that would actually come true. I remember as Eric's mom turned off the highway, it was like we were entering another world. The trees were suddenly taller, long branches with broad leaves standing guard over this ancient green kingdom. A mile or two later we approached the entrance to the camp, a dirt field which gave way to well-trodden grass with the silhouettes of the cabins beyond. A permanent dust cloud hung over it. I remember Eric's mom being frustrated because no matter how much she cranked the windshield wipers a new film settled moments later. A kaleidoscope of metallic colors glinted through the swirling dust as cars arrived. I stared as kids my age and older, my size and bigger spilled out. Some looked hypnotized, in a state of disbelief of their current whereabouts, while others were loudly greeting friends from years gone by. And still others were sobbing. I watched one boy who oddly enough looked like me but with slightly longer hair. He locked himself in the car after his parents had gotten out. I never got to see how that self-hostage situation was resolved. Oh, and there were girls. It was a co-ed camp with fairly rigid separation as we would learn. I was in that awkward phase where a girlfriend was pretty much a rumor but subconsciously my stance on the whole opposite sex issue began to soften about that time. Eric's mom ushered us out. As I was grabbing my backpack and duffel out of the trunk, I felt a sharp sting on the back of my neck. Initially I thought it was a bee and I'd already envisioned Eric's mom leaving with one passenger in tow due to a slight allergy to bee stings, but it wasn't. I heard Jimmy's unmistakable howl and turned to see my friend with a palmful of pebbles in his hand. That was Jimmy, all fun, all the time. He was smaller than Eric and I but completely fearless. I'd seen him take on kids twice his size and win. As Eric and Jimmy's moms jabbered away, The three of us stood in the dust and for a moment, my fear slipped away and we seemed invincible. The three of us. Together. This camp didn't stand a chance. Eric's mom's goodbye went on entirely too long. I did miss not having my own mother to hug and assure me that it was going to be fun and someday I'd look back on this experience as a moment of change and growing up. One of those sentiments all these years later I wish I'd expressed to her more at the time. As the moms finally pulled away it did feel different. It somehow felt right. Like we were about to do something epic on our own. The cabins were split by a great lawn nearly a football field in length. Boys on one side, girls on the other, both divided by age. The counselors lined us up and cross-checked everyone's name on the list. A simmering anarchy rose over the field, Veteran campers seeing one another again for the first time since last summer, new campers trying to find their place and counselors attempting not to lose their s in the first few hours. This was the around the time I first noticed her, not Allison R from Cabin 6, my first real crush but the very tall girl standing at the back of the line, drifting near the edge of the woods as if she was trying to disappear back into them. I thought it was a maintenance worker or some other camp employee and frankly a man because of her sheer size. Her broad shoulders were hunched and she slouched as if she was trying to hide her odd proportions in all the chaos but she had to be over six feet tall, maybe more. Her shirt and pants were oversized and ill-fitting but you could still discern there was a solid frame beneath. She was built differently. She had a backpack double strapped tightly over her shoulders and the top met the length of her neatly cut hair. Something jutted out of the unfastened side of the pack. A doll of some kind. Eric elbowed me, he'd noticed her too. Holy S, she's huge. I didn't respond. He and Jimmy shared a snicker, then moved on to other faces in the crowd. Everyone was sizing everyone else up, looking for commonality, targeting difference. I couldn't take my eyes off the girl and eventually she must have felt it and met my stare. Even at that distance I froze, embarrassed, sure, but it was as if she'd come alive in that instant. She remained expressionless but there was just something powerful about her eyes. There was a story there. A story that wanted to be told. I quickly looked away but could feel her linger on me a moment as if she didn't want to break the connection. Out of the corner of my eye I saw her head lower again and she receded back into the crowd. I should've walked over and said hello or good morning. Introduced myself and asked how she was doing, where she was from. Anything. But I didn't. Our cabin had four other boys in it. One whose name I can't remember was our age but the others were all seventeen or eighteen. It wasn't long until a serious Lord of the Flies vibe set in. The ringleader was a kid named Corey. He sucked. It was like he'd gone to bullying school and graduated with honors already. The other idiots just fell in line with him and it was obvious they'd had a few summers together to sharpen their craft. The problem for them is they hadn't encountered a Jimmy before. I knew we had a secret weapon and part of me wanted them to just keep prodding it enough for it to explode and annihilate them. Things came to a head the first night. We'd gotten back from some boring orientation, meet your fellow camper thing and I was lying in my bottom bunk. Eric got stuck with the kid whose name I can't remember and Jimmy was above me. Given some downtime, thoughts about how bad I wanted to go home began to creep back into my head. I stared at the cracks in the bunk frame above me started to find strange faces in them and was in the beginnings of a possible scenario where they might begin talking and perhaps even possess me to put me out of my misery, when a shadow fell over me. It was Corey and the idiots. They'd decided I was the weak link in the new herd and they were about to pounce. Hey F-Stick. That's your name, right? F-Stick? It was so predictable and generic. I really wanted to ask him if his mother was proud her son was dumber than a rock but instead, instinct kicked in and I sat up and swung one leg out of bed, braced for what might be coming. My dad had taught me how to throw a punch and I'd wrestled for a few years so I knew how to handle myself but I didn't want this fight. I didn't want most fights. I was okay with just letting it be. It was if they knew that and it was fueling them. Corey took my water bottle out of my bag opened the lid and soaked me. The idiots laughed, braying like hyenas. Did you like that, f-stick? Then he was crumpled on the floor, bleeding. It all happened so fast. Jimmy had been watching from his perch above. Watching and waiting. He'd decided the water bottle crossed his red line and launched off the top bed. he delivered such a quick, explosive beating that the idiots didn't have time to react, let alone jump in. I got my ass out of bed too, just to make sure they didn't. Jimmy didn't say a thing, didn't gloat, he didn't need to. He just looked at the three of them and made it clear it would be worse next time if they decided to F with us again. Word did get back to the counselors of an incident but Corey's bloody, possibly broken nose was explained away as an unfortunate case of walking into a door face first. Things were just different back in the day seemed you could get away with more. Kids scraped their knees on the pavement, fell out of a tree and broke their arms. They had scars. It wasn't that bad things didn't happen, the news just didn't travel as fast. I met Allison the next day. First kiss a few nights later but this isn't about that. This is about telling you what really happened that summer, what they covered up. This is about Jane and what they drove her to do. I didn't know at the time but it started before someone hung her doll from the big oak which marked the dividing line between the girls' and boys' cabins. Boys can be mean but girls can be downright cruel. On the fourth or fifth day, we were on our way back from the field when kids started gathering on the great lawn. A low murmur rose interrupted by the occasional obnoxious cackle. Hanging from the lowest branch of the great oak was a two-foot doll. The face was strangely lifelike, not overly cherubic like most plastic toys but elegantly carved and made with care. The long hair seemed real, finely threaded into what appeared to be a wooden scalp. The doll wore overalls, their stitching also expertly done. A rope had been tied around both her hands and looped over the bow, effectively hanging her like a medieval prisoner on the rack. We all stopped and stared. The angle the doll's head lolled gave it an almost ebbing life. Then the crowd began to part and I saw her head loom over everyone. Jane slowly walked to the tree. I was awestruck at the power of her stride. Something that sighs moving so effortlessly. Wordlessly, she reached up to the tall branch and untied the knot of the loop, let the doll ride the slack down into her other waiting hand. She looked it over, carefully. Meticulously a girl, yelled is that your only friend, you freak? A wave of laughter swept through the crowd. Jane turned, gaze still on her doll. When she finally looked up everyone fell into a hush. Her eyes were cold, unfeeling. Almost inhuman, like the eyes of a shark. She scanned the crowd, as if she knew who did it then silently walked back to her cabin. By this time the counselors intervened and everyone dispersed. I didn't know who did it but heard from Allison that one of the female counselors, a college girl named Tessa was in on it. She let the girls in her cabin drink and seemed more than happy to stir up trouble. We began to hear rumors about Jane, that her family owned some of the land the camp was on. That Jane wasn't her real name, that it was an alias because she committed some awful crime. That she lived in the woods and ate animals. That she killed her parents. That she was a circus freak that escaped. And on and on. But it seemed no one really knew anything about her, other than her name was Jane. I should've said I was sorry that happened to her and that kids suck sometimes. I should've asked if she wanted to hang with me and Eric and Jimmy. I should have. But I didn't. The next night it got worse. We didn't see it happen but we heard the aftermath. Tessa and her underlings locked Jane in one of the bathrooms. There was a central hub for each set of cabins that had toilets and showers but there was also a single stall out near a maintenance shed. No one used it except the counselors and I don't know how they lured her in there. Maybe she just wanted some privacy and they followed her. We heard her deep, bellowing screams. Her fists pounding on the door. Her pleas for someone to please let her out. But no one did. By the time other counselors and campers arrived it was quiet. When they opened the door, the bathroom was empty. The back window was completely shattered and a few boards had been torn out creating a hole large enough to escape. At the time no one quite knew exactly what was going on and the counselors did their best to sequester us for the next day. A few of them partnered and searched for her on the campgrounds and as far as they dared go into the forest but there were no signs. Jane was gone. I'm sure calls were made to her parents and maybe the police. So we waited for someone to show up distraught, looking for her but no one did. It was as if she didn't exist. As if she didn't matter. Tessa went missing the next day. When she didn't show for breakfast, they checked her room and found a familiar doll sitting upright in her bed instead. One of the campers heard they found a fistful of hair with chunks of scalp still attached to it near the door, as if whoever took her simply dragged her by the hair like a rag doll things descended into chaos at that point. This time the police did show up. Parents did too, demanding answers. We all left in a matter of hours. My mom picked us up this time. I'd never been so happy to see her. Somehow, the news barely made the papers. But again, it was a different time. The owner of the camp had an in with some influential people and they managed to keep it mostly quiet. My best guess is money changed hands, probably more than a few times. A local reporter did some digging and there were records of Jane from one of the nearby elementary schools but they stopped after the third or fourth grade and it was impossible to match the schoolgirl photo to the Jane I knew. Police-led search parties deployed and they combed the forest. They found several huge old, ramshackle long houses hidden miles within its depths. The ceilings that weren't collapsed were over 20 feet high. The skeletal remains of an adult male and female were discovered buried behind the main cabin in a makeshift graveyard. The skeletons were abnormally large and according to a third-hand account from the coroner several hundred years old with several peculiar anatomical anomalies. They also found the skeletons of three infants and four juveniles all with various defects. In the surrounding forest they found burial mounds. They were filled with animal bones. The bones were scraped with what apparently resemble human-like teeth marks. Only larger than any human tooth could leave behind. Allegedly, several tomes were recovered but none were officially recorded in any evidentiary findings. I've personally inquired about them and if they do exist, no one's talking. That same industrious local reporter alleged to have gotten a quick peek at one but was unable to transcribe more than a few notes. He never published his findings but I contacted him a few years back and got him talking over a bottle of wine. The tomes were nearly indecipherable, written in an ancient language resembling Germanic, perhaps an offshoot of an early strain of Latin. But what he ranted about most was that they were cobbled with a peculiar runic text he showed me his original notes. Strange symbols and words that just felt like they were from another time. A different, much older time. Jotun is the one that stuck with me. It's an early English word derived from the Norse, Jotun. It roughly translates to, giant. Eric, Jimmy and I remained close, even after college. Eric eventually moved overseas but Jimmy stayed local. A few years ago we got together and eventually talked about what happened. Talked about if we should've, if we could've done anything different to change it. A simple hello. A kind word may have changed everything. As close as we are I got the distinct impression neither wants to talk about it anymore. They've locked it away in some dark corner of their minds where the stuff we don't want to remember lies. And waits. Despite wanting to forget, I've kept close tabs on any new information that trickles out relating to the incident. The occasional missing person in the area makes me wonder if someone wandered too far off the beaten path. I tried driving out to the camp once but they ran part of the highway across it and wilderness has somewhat filled in the rest. The woods looked as old and deep as they were all those years ago. I quelled an urge to just wander off and see if she would find me. I think Jane's still out there. Surviving. Watching. Waiting for her time to come again. Maybe she isn't as alone as we think she is. Who knows how long they've adapted to hide in plain sight like she did. But I always come back to the same haunting thought. It wasn't that I did something wrong, it was that I didn't do something right. The bell, which was a local haint in my hometown that is a story in its own right, but I have an old tale related to her. Growing up I would walk to slash from school and I would cut through my neighbor's property to get there. Miss Ebby was her name. Sweet as pie with a voice smooth as butter. She was a widow and an empty nester and I think all around a lil lonely. Anyway she and I got into this routine where I'd stop by her house every afternoon on my way home from school and she'd usually feed me cornbread or biscuits or some sorta snack and we would just hang out and chat out on her big front porch. Well one day I noticed the doors were all flung open and something just didn't seem right. I walked into the house and her house was torn to pieces. I mean, all the cabinets were open. Everything pulled out and strewn all over the place honestly thought she'd been robbed. So I start yelling for her and I hear her hollering upstairs. Now keep in mind, she lived in an old antebellum mansion. This place was huge and though I was there every day, I never made it past the kitchen. So I hear her yelling for me upstairs and I run up this huge grand staircase and through this winding hallway and I find her in her bedroom. She is distraught. She's hooting and hollering and wailing I can't find it. I can't find the book. I asked her what book? And she says. The spell book. I knew exactly what she had meant at that point. Somewhere down her family lineage was relation to the bell witch and somehow she had come into possession of one of her spell books. This was common knowledge to her close friends and loved ones. I remember looking at it once. She kept it locked up in a cupboard downstairs like it was a museum piece. She went on to tell me she had opened up the book that day just cause she was curious or something. She ran out to the grocery store and she came back and her house was in ruins but the only thing was missing was that damn spell book. Never to be found again. Till her dying day she swore she was cursed because of losing that book. My own personal encounter with a boogeyman was actually in town around dawn. I was in probably 5th grade and unlike most kids I was an early riser. It was actually about this time of year, probably 6.30 in the morning, and I was standing over the kitchen sink looking out the window with a cup of coffee, hillbilly kid, coffee at age 10 was normal, twitch, while mom got ready for work. It was kind of foggy out and just starting to get light enough that you could see things clearly. Our house looked over a large yard, more of a field when you had to mow it, that sloped downhill with an old access road, maybe 120 feet from the window I was at, cut across it to reach the back of the property. It was all grassed over and smooth, so we kept it mown like the rest of the yard. I turned around for some reason and when I looked back out the window, Down on the access road this thing was walking down it from left to right. It was easily six feet long without the tail and two to three feet high at the shoulder. Four, long, legs, walking steadily forward with its, proportionally small, head down and forward just like a dog heading somewhere with intention. What struck me was its coloration and tail. It was overall a brown color, just a generic brown dog color but it had almost a cape, wouldn't say mane, of dark hair that went from its head, over its front shoulders, and tapered partway down its back with a long, curved, bushy tail held low and curving upward. At that distance ears were indistinguishable and its muzzle was oriented away from me so it was hard to tell what kind of face it had. Its physical appearance said big dog, but the way it walked was exactly like a lion, It had a sort of sway and rolled its feet into the ground. As far as stories go, one comes to mind from my childhood in Tennessee. I was told it by an older neighbor of mine who had also grown up in the area. It supposedly happened when he was young. A poor older couple were farming near the river bottoms in Tennessee. One day a group of young boys were out near their farm and decided to spook the old couple's mule. The mule jumped the fence and ran down to the river bottom, while the boys chased it. The old man searched all over for his mule and finally found it down by the river. He caught it and started leading it back to the farm. On the way up the river bank he was bitten by a cottonmouth and didn't make it home again. After some time the wife went out looking in the fields for her husband and eventually found him dead, next to the river with their mule. She swore revenge on the boys who spooked their mule, and were responsible for the death of her beloved husband. She walked through the fields, through the town, and all along the river looking for those boys. She never found who it was, and from that day forth she hated all children. Years and years passed by, those boys grew up. And the woman remained looking for a group of children who killed her husband. Sometimes people with kids would find doll heads on spike sticks near where their children like to play. I didn't really believe this story but a few weeks later my neighbor called me over to show me there was a doll head on a broken stick over across his yard at the edge of the woods which led down to the river. Me and my friend were camping in Tennessee on an old mining road hidden really far back in the forest, I mean miles away from any buildings. We were sitting under an overhang of rock with a fire and as it became dusk we saw a tall oddly shaped creature, it was an odd color and had really reflected stark yellow eyes, its joints were really off just wrong angles, it was terrifying. I asked if he saw what I saw and he said he did. We didn't sleep much that night and cut the trip 2 days short, we have talked about it a few times since and have wondered what it was, this was 8 years ago we saw it again 5 years after this when we were on the porch of a cabin near the same area. When I was around 11 I got very into fairies but more in a witchy way I guess you could say. I realize that's kind of old for a kid to be into things like this but you gotta know I was a very imaginative, somewhat lonely kid. I've always loved fairies and my mom got me a book on them. It included fairy language and a list of gifts to offer fairies should you wish to interact with them. Of course I wanted to contact them. What little girl wouldn't? For about a month I wandered out to my back woods and by a river, because according to the book, fairies like to hang out around water. And leave little notes written in the supposed language, along with little gifts and offerings. I'd make them little leaf baskets, leave them candy or flowers. Things like that. I even recited a chant. Yeah, I know, I think part of me knew it was silly and that I'd probably never get results but damn if I wasn't determined. So I kept on. At one point my gifts and notes started disappearing from the bench I left them on. I figured it was wind or birds taking it, but a small part of me hoped it was something else. A month of this nonsense and I was getting very discouraged. I decided to leave a few more gifts for them and this time I weighed them down with small rocks so they wouldn't blow away and I'd know for sure. A day went by and my gifts were still there. Another day, same thing. Then on the third day of checking, I found the gifts gone but the rocks still there. Only the rocks were moved around. I don't remember how soon after that this happened. But eventually I got what I had wanted. I wandered out to the woods and saw by the river two monarch butterflies. They were very large and I wanted to see them up close. However, one landed on a branch close to the path where I was standing and I noticed this butterfly had limbs. Tiny, thin, pale. Limbs. Hands. Feet. I stopped dead in my tracks and looked hard to make sure I wasn't hallucinating. It was broad daylight and I could see very clearly. It wasn't a butterfly. It was a fairy. She had long thin brown hair that went down past her feet and a blue dress that looked like a small scrap of fabric. But what terrified me above all else was her face. Her eyes were giant black bug slash alien like eyes. But she definitely had a face and she definitely saw me. I didn't even try to go look at the other one, because I ran. I was so scared that I bolted home and locked my door. After freaking out and keeping an eye on my backyard, the backwoods, through the window. I went back. No surprise, they were gone. And I never saw them again, despite me trying over and over again. My gifts were never taken again. I felt sad and stupid because I felt like I ruined my chance to have fairy friends but knowing what I do now, it was probably a blessing they left me alone. What do you guys think? Has anyone else seen a fairy and did they look like this? I just need to find someone else who has seen what I have seen. It's something I'll never ever forget. I remember her so clearly I could draw her. Note: I went to the library and looked at every book on butterflies I could find, googled, and I couldn't find a butterfly matching any description that looked like what I saw. So I'm going to start by saying I'm basically a skeptic when it comes to the paranormal, although I love hearing stories and listening to others' points of views when it comes to that kind of stuff. This is why I'm having such a hard time understanding what happened to me last September. My dad, grandma, Grandpa and I were attending my cousin's wedding in a small rural town just outside of South Haven, Michigan late last summer. We rented a small house in town which was located in a very wooded area just off of a small lake. Something felt extremely off as soon as I got out of the car at our rental property. That's the best way I could describe it, something felt off and I was immediately uneasy. But, being the skeptic that I am. I shrugged it off and chalked it up to being tired and anxious. The night we arrived, my dad and I were having a smoke outside and noticed how weird everything sounded. It was about 11 pm and there was no one else around. The trees were crackling incredibly loudly and we were hearing strange animal noises, but nothing too out of the ordinary. Just the type of animal noises you would hear in rural me. But they just sounded particularly strange to us for some reason. We said our good nights and went to bed. The next morning my dad told me that he went outside for a smoke at about 2ish that morning and heard what sounded to him like someone close by banging on metal siding. He said it sounded like it was just next door, but didn't hear anything leading up to or preceding the loud banging, like footsteps or anything like that. We shrugged and laughed it off. The second night was when I heard the thing that I still can't stop thinking about six months later. It was about 11 PM midnight and I was having my last smoke of the night. My grandparents were already asleep and my dad had just gotten into bed, but still awake watching TV. I was sitting on the stairs outside with my back to the house looking straight out into the backyard. I heard someone shout my name in a very abrupt manner, loud and fast. It sounded like they were shouting toward me from the front of the house like they were standing on the front porch shouting for me, knowing I was at the back of the house. It sounded just like my dad, but it couldn't be him because I didn't hear the front door open or close or anything. Being a skeptic, I reminded myself to stay calm and I quickly walked back into the house. My dad was sound asleep. There was no way that by the time I got to him he could've gotten back into bed. I woke him up and asked him if he was outside screaming my name. He looked confused and said of course not. I started to get really freaked out at this point. I tried to go to bed but couldn't get that scream out of my head. I was up all night trying to figure out what happened. I was honestly contemplating leaving, getting a hotel room somewhere close by and returning in the morning. Miraculously I must have fallen asleep sometime around 3 a.m. Dot. We woke up the next morning and I was so ready to get the hell out of that town. As soon as we left, the uneasy feeling I had the entire weekend disappeared. When I returned to work the next day I told my coworker the weird experience I had. Her face immediately dropped. She proceeded to inform me that this is quite common in the Appalachian area regarding cryptids and other types of creatures. Apparently they try to get your attention by mimicking someone close to you and when you look at them they kidnap you or something along those lines? but I was in Michigan? i tried to look up information about the town I was in, but didn't find anything remotely interesting. Has anyone else had a similar experience? This happened in the American Southwest to my parents while on vacation. They stopped at a spot along their travel route to get some food and got talking to a young local who worked there he told them about a box canyon that was on the way to their next stop. For those who don't know, a box canyon is characterized by being narrow, having high vertical walls, and a flat bottom. To hear my mom tell it, he described the canyon with an almost spiritual reverence, saying that it was incredibly beautiful and had superb acoustics, and that he loved taking his guitar out there to play. My folks like doing stuff off the beaten path, so they decide to pay a visit. The canyon seemed to be quite isolated, with no buildings of any kind around it for miles. By the time they parked their car and made it to the canyon's entrance, the sun was just starting to go down. They said they seemed to be the only ones there, with no parked cars other than their own. They made their way into the canyon. After the fact, my parents have both said that they separately, without speaking of it, started to feel a touch of unease not totally unreasonable, as it was starting to get dark, and the canyon walls pressed close on either side. Despite this feeling, they continued on. Until they heard the noise. My parents report the nature of this noise differently. When I ask them to describe it, their faces sort of scrunch up, like it's an effortful task, or they're still uncertain. My dad says it sounded like a person, possibly a man, speaking a low, single word that he didn't understand. My mom says that it didn't really sound like a word of any kind to her, just a strange, deep noise that rang out from somewhere nearby above them. It was accompanied by a brief, intense flash of pale light. Neither of them knew what it was or where precisely it had come from, but they both were immediately filled with dread and an overwhelming desperation to get the hell out of the canyon. They turned around and booked it back to their car. As they exited the dark, close space of the canyon, my mom describes feeling certain there was something chasing them, and thinking that once they got to their car, they would find it sabotaged. That, thankfully, was not the case, and they were able to get in and speed away down the empty road. My mom said she didn't feel safe until they'd been driving for a while, still having the panicked but totally unsupported notion that they were being pursued. When they eventually spoke of it to one another, they weren't able to make any real sense out of what had happened. Neither one of them really has a theory. This is probably pretty dull as far as spooky experiences go, but neither of my parents have a history of weird encounters, or of telling tall tales, and so it strikes me to see them both get re-creeped out by the mere memory of this incident. Edit: I've asked my mom clarifying questions since I first recorded this story and I forgot to update. She said that the flash of light was actually quite close to them, mere feet away, and that it sort of seemed to hang in the air for a few moments. She had a hard time describing it very clearly. Years later I am still trying to make sense of this encounter. I am a science-based believer, there has to be a good reason behind something moving on its own. I didn't in younger years know how to tell people no. I ended up going on a vacation with a fellow I was not into after a lot of persistence from him, not knowing boundaries. We stayed in his parents brand new build guest room. I didn't want to do anything with him and also felt a sense of dread and impending doom. He tried to make moves, I became more withdrawn and told him that she was here. She was even though I don't and never did believe in her. He tried to convince me to lay down with him in bed to escape this anxiety he thought I was experiencing. I laid down, he laid down next to me. The second he reached out to touch me a 4 by 2 foot panel of glass above the guest bed, right above our heads popped out perfectly and nearly fell on top of us. He with quick reflexes reached his hands out and caught it, sliding it onto the floor where it shattered. We both heard the sound of gravel running and a woman crying. Went outside to investigate, middle of the desert Arizona, nowhere near a city. There was nothing and no one. He didn't believe in her. He did after. I still don't believe in her, but she seems to protect me. His family accused us of doing the deed to the point of breaking the window. We sat in opposite corners of the room after the incidents until the sun rose. I've lived in the same house my entire life, and many strange things have occurred there, but these recent events are just odd to me. My family rescued a stray cat, now my best friend Lowell, about 7-8 months ago, he is still young, about 2 years I believe. My mom has been someone who would for some reason have dreams of events right before they occur, she can't control them or anything but they are sometimes of deaths of loved ones which would turn out to be true so I guess you could say she is open to the paranormal. I have experienced some strange things in the house such as shadows waving at me, and I don't mean at the corner of my eye, they would be waving directly at me. But that all happened when I was younger, so I am still skeptical about the paranormal, although I have seen A U A P with my family when I was younger that I still have no explanation for, but that's a story for another time. Now regarding my cat, There was this night about a couple of months ago when my mom felt the cat jump on her bed, she then felt the cat walk up to her face, but she got annoyed and covered her face with the blankets expecting the cat to bother her for food. The cat then clawed at the blankets trying to take them down from her face, and this happened for about 20 minutes. This was until she was so annoyed she got up and turned on the lights, but she then saw how the door was closed and that the cat wasn't even in her room at the time. I was actually awake around the time when this was happening to her, I have trouble sleeping, and the cat was sleeping next to me that night. The strange thing is that I actually heard footsteps walking toward my door, which was closed, which then stopped as I looked at the door, I then heard them continue away from my door and toward the room where my mom sleeps. Besides the occasional knocking noises and footsteps, not much happened since then but last night it seemed like something was messing with me. My cat was also sleeping with me last night, and right when I was about to fall asleep I woke up completely, as I hear the noise my cat makes with his claws when he stretches on the carpet, which is almost like a popping and tearing noise. I sit up and the noise suddenly stops, I laid back down, and when I was falling asleep again the noise started up. I saw my cat wake up as well and he began turning his head to look around the room to try and see what the cause of the noise was. At that point, I was just trying to ignore the noise and sleep since I have schooled this morning. However, my cat was way more annoyed than me and he got up and walked around the edges of my bed looking around to find the source of the noise. The creepy thing is that the noise seemed to move around, at first it sounded right outside of my door, But then it sounded like it was in the ceiling above me, and then right under my bed. And the noise would just continue to jump around my room. My cat walked up to the headboard of my bed which is cushioned, and he did the claw popping noise thing just for like a second, which was not normal as every time he would do that he would do it for about a minute or so. But immediately after the second he did it, the other noise stopped completely, and then my cat stopped and laid next to me again and we both went to sleep. Also, for the past couple of weeks, I have been having horrible nightmares, sometimes I can't even remember them but I just remember the fear I felt, and every time I wake up in a cold sweat, completely drenched. I don't know why all of this is happening but perhaps there is a rational explanation for all of this that I just don't know of. But maybe you guys have had similar experiences of some kind, I just needed to get this out there, and I will update the situation if you guys want. But for now, this is what has happened so far. Edit. I forgot to add the fact that there was a time when I was whistling during the night, and then all of a sudden I hear whistling back at me from across the house. I thought it was someone in my family doing it so I went out there, everyone was asleep except my mom and I went up to her and asked her if she was doing it. She said no and she didn't hear it, but then I whistled again right there and again something whistled back at us from across the house but this time I knew for sure it wasn't my family since no one was in that part of the house the whistle was coming from. It was coming from the room I was just in originally, and someone moved all the way over there. My mom heard it this time, and still, both of us can't explain how something can clearly whistle back like that without being seen. This was way before my cat. I have also recently had times when my basement door, which has three locks on it, was wide open in the morning even though I saw it was closed right before I went to sleep. My parents have heard talking in rooms while they are entering them, which the noise would stop when they fully enter, this happened in the same room the basement door is in. I could try and record the noises I have heard if they happened again, but I will let you guys know. A few things to know. I share custody of my son with his father, it is 50-50. When my son was younger I would wake him up at the crack of dawn to get him ready for daycare before I went into work. I have worked remotely for 3 years now and no longer have to wake up so early. I also love to talk to my kids about their memories, what's your happiest memory? What's your favorite memory with your brother? What's your earliest memory? As I think talking about their memories helps keep them alive in their minds and I love to see the world through their eyes. A few months ago, when my son was six, he told me he remembered what it was like to be in my belly. That it was dark, wet, warm, and comforting. At the time, I didn't think much of it and just nodded and told him that I thought that was interesting. Fast forward to a month ago, I asked my now seven-year-old what his earliest memory was. I will do my best to describe what he described to me. He was three years old at the time. He was sleeping and woke up in a dark room. He didn't know where he was but he stayed in his bed and visually observed the room. He described the room to me, which was spot on. We moved out of that house two years ago. He said at the time he didn't know where he was but he wasn't scared. When the sun started coming up and brightening his room, I, his mother, came in. He saw me and didn't know who I was but again, was not scared. I asked him if he remembered his dad when he picked him up and he said no, he didn't recognize his dad, his dad's house, or his own bedroom there. He said from that day he awoke in his room at my house and going forward was when he began to learn. He said prior to the day he woke up, he couldn't see through his eyes. The way he describes it to me seems like the way you see in a dream. He struggled to explain this portion to me. He said it wasn't a scary feeling when he was finally able to see. At the time he was explaining this to me as 4 year old sister was wandering around the house playing by herself and he looked at her and said I wonder if she remembers when she could see. I believe what he was describing to me was the moment his consciousness came to him. The moment he realized he was here on this earth. The way he explained it in such great detail makes me believe that this is an actual memory and not something he has made up. Does anyone have a similar experience? About a month ago, my boyfriend and I were on the couch of our home watching a scary movie around 9pm. He has two phones, his personal cell, and his work phone. Once we finish the movie, I said I was going to get the shower going and wait for him to join me after he called his daughter to tell her goodnight. He used his personal phone to call her, leaving his work phone on the couch alongside his personal one once he hung up. He came to check on me in the shower and told me he would be in after he grabbed some clothes and a towel. However, after going back to the bedroom to grab those, he noticed that his personal phone was missing from the couch. He was only gone for about a minute from the living room to come to the bathroom. He spent another 5 minutes looking for it everywhere in the house, even tried calling it from his work phone several times before giving up and getting into the shower with me. About 30 minutes pass, he tells me about the incident and we think nothing of it since I promised to help him find it after we get out. However, once we get out, we spent another 5 minutes tearing the house apart. Still nothing. He and I both called his personal phone several times, but we couldn't hear it anywhere. I finally have the idea to try and ping it using the shared location services, that's when it shows up. Claiming to be in the neighbor's front yard? He thought I was joking with him, until I showed him my screen. Neither of us had left the house, both the front door and the back door still remained locked from when we got home earlier that day. I thought he was actually the one pranking me he promised he wasn't. I stood in the doorway as he got a jacket on and went outside with his work phone, using it as a flashlight and to call his personal phone. He looked for it for a while. But then I watched as he bent down, dug in our neighbor's bushes, and retrieved his flashing personal phone that lit up due to the incoming call. It had been raining and was very muddy, yet his phone was completely dry and seemingly untouched when he retrieved it. As he called it, The phone didn't make any sound, just buzzed. Yet, when he double checked that he kept the ringer on, thinking it got turned off. It was still on, as it should have been playing his ringtone. But it never did that entire time we looked for it. To this day. We cannot explain how it got outside in the span of about 5 minutes, never rang even with the ringer on, was still dry after sitting in the rain or mud for about 40 minutes total and how it ended up buried in the neighbor's bushes. Edit: I didn't want to make a separate post, so I thought I'd add on. Ever since this incident with the phone, more strange things have happened. Things have been knocked over in the middle of the night, I hear footsteps when I'm home alone, see things out of the corner of my eyes, and the scariest one yet. We have light fixtures that you click on and off, like flat buttons, not the switches. He and I were sitting on the couch in the living room, when all of a sudden the lights in the dining room began to turn on and off. The creepy part was that the buttons were being clicked rapidly, and loudly too. I would've chalked it up to faulty wiring if it was just the lights going crazy, but the buttons were physically being pressed and making noise too, as if someone was pressing it on and off very quickly. He said he has never experienced anything like this in this house before. It started happening after I moved in. After reading some comments, I'm beginning to think it's some sort of entity. It might be attached to me? I've had other paranormal experiences before too. 0% of my life I lived in a house in Marquette, Michigan that was inhabited by my entire family over the course of 43 years. Growing up I was always scared in my house and I could never put my finger on it until I eventually bought a house. The house felt like someone was always watching you. No matter where you were it felt like someone was sitting in the corner of the room. Unexplained footsteps, talking, knocking, yelling, chairs and tables moving in the floor above you when no one was home. From the time I was 8 until 26 I literally couldn't go in the house by myself unless there was a light on. There were times where I would wait outside when I was a kid for someone to come home before I went in because I witnessed someone standing in the attic window looking out at me. Now that I've moved 13 miles away from my childhood or early adulthood home, I feel like I'm missing a part of me. The scary s that happened was almost comforting because I knew how it worked. I could fall asleep hearing mumbled talking in the floor above. Was used to walking at all hours in different parts of the house. Am I crazy or did I have some sort of attachment? So just some background before getting into my experiences, I've been practicing astral projection, out of body experiences, for the past 23 years. So one morning, I floated out of my body and there were several aliens standing around me. And I'll be honest, they were creepy. Pretty sinister vibes. The energy of individuals and entities is something you can easily pick up on while out of body, and I actually picked up on their energy before even seeing who or what they were, before even being able to see my environment, as I was shifting out of body I felt their presence and felt their unique energy signature. So these aliens would make regular appearances for quite some time. And when I say aliens, I simply mean entities that look like the traditional alien. Big black slanted eyes, triangular shaped head, small skinny bodies. They would affect me with this energy that felt almost artificial in nature and it had a paralyzing effect on me. They would pull me out of my body without my permission or any intent to leave my body. I've had more strange experiences with these guys than I can fit into a book. I've encountered many different groups or types of aliens during my OBS but I'm talking about one group in particular that looked like the greys but had light orange skin. I've had more encounters with this group by far and they seem to be lower frequency compared to some of the other groups, some of which I've had rather enlightening and profound experiences with. So the first thing I know about these entities is that they operate in the astral dimensions. They can be found in higher dimensions and sometimes they actually find you there, especially if you practice astral projection. Many alleged alien abductions seem to actually be cases of people being taken out of body by these aliens and mistaking it for a physical reality experience. Don't get me wrong, both are genuine experiences, they just take place on a different plane of reality. Although I'm certain that many abductions are physical experiences. In my newest episode of my podcast The Astral Dimensions, I go into detail about some of my experiences with these entities, as well as one particular experience in which we communicate and they reveal some pretty interesting information about their purposes and intentions with myself and other humans. You can find it on any podcast app or site if you're interested to hear more if anyone here has had any kind of alien encounter involving floating out of your body or even just out of your bed, being in a state of paralysis, passing through seemingly solid objects, etc. I'd be interested to hear about it so feel free to share. Morning everyone. I don't know where else to post this but here we go. When I was 7 years old, I lived in an upstairs apartment with my parents and little brother. It happened in the morning time and everyone else was asleep, but I was awake. Laying in my bed near the window, I heard a lady holler out my name three separate times, in a hateful, mean, demeanor. Sounded pissed. No such lady ever came to the door. Just shouting. I'm 23 and I think about it every day, Haven had an experience like that ever since it happened.